Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally a polder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So it is Tuesday, the uh, 14th of October. We've had a couple of days of Amy Coney Barrett hearings before the Senate Judiciary Committee, Connor. And uh, I guess you could say it's kind of deja vu all over again, to quote Yogi Berra. We've seen many, many justices uh, on the hot seat, uh, nominated by both Democrat and Republican presidents over the last several decades. And it's kind of frustrating. I mean, we'll get into how Amy Coney Barrett is doing, Judge Barrett, soon to be Justice Barrett, perhaps. I've always mm, wondered why, why do they call the appellate judges, judges in the federal system, and yet in the state system, if you're at the appellate level, you're a justice. You've been promoted from judge to justice. People but like sounding fancy. I guess. Nothing I guess. wrong with being a little fancy at your work, you know, dressing up. So, feeling good. So what do we do about this problem that Judge Barrett and Judge Kagan and all the other judges that have uh, rolled through there uh, are, are able to get away with not answering questions about how they really feel about the fundamental issues that Americans care about right. in terms of the Second Amendment gun rights and abortion, Roe yeah. versus Wade, yeah, yeah, and yeah. everything else. How is it they're able to say, well, I'm sorry, Senator, that would be a hypothetical question on something that I might have to rule upon if I am lucky enough to be confirmed by you right. and your, your pals. Right. I mean, we just let people get away with it. Why? We do, and we do because we all buy into the, leg the legal fiction, as they say, but no, in this case, it's a fiction about the law, legal fiction, um, that uh, Justice Roberts is, is the worst offender of and best encapsulated when he famously said, well, there are no such thing as, you know, right judges and left judges, Obama judges and Trump judges. We just call balls and strikes. This idea that you can be apolitical and above the fray, which is, of course, impossible. We but are all political I know we're animals. we're cynical about that, but isn't that the— No, it's not cynicism. that aspirational? Isn't that what we want? No, it's not. I it's, mean, it's like it, an umpire, and the black man is racing toward home plate, and the white man is the catcher about sure, to catch the ball. Sure. And we want— the umpire to make that call utterly regardless of whether he likes black people or not, right? No, because So the, why don't we want the same characteristic in a judge? Judges are not umpires, especially appellate judges and uh, Supreme Court justices. Shouldn't they be? No, that's the problem is they're not ruling on whether you're safe on at home based on a, 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 a tight play. Right. They're ruling on what the rules of the game should be, and we've decided what the rules of the game should be Basically, arbitrarily, this path, this process of history that we like to call precedent, that we're going to walk right into that as we talk about Amy Coney Barrett today and her, you know, uh, mentioning super precedent, and and that's very, very important. But it's all based on this nonsense idea that as of this snapshot of this one moment in 2020, we say, well, now politics is done. The rules are set. Everybody's decided well, what the right and the right, good are, and if, therefore we can call balls and strikes in that framework. Even if you're right about the U.S. Supreme Court justices. Because mm -hmm. they literally have the power to change things. Mm -hmm. It, it can't be right as to every other judge. The appellate judges in the district, in the circuit courts of appeal on the federal system around the country, and then the trial court, the district courts below them, 
they can't change the law. They Their job is to follow what has been established by the Supreme uh, Court. But, of course, they can change the law because we use a system of precedent. When you go to law school, you learn all these cases. They're not all from the Supreme Court. They're from lots of appellate justices who've gotten a set of facts up from the trial court, and the set of facts are set in stone, but then they get to apply their interpretation yeah, if of it's the unsettled, law to If the law is unsettled, they can, exactly. they can use and their judgment. And then when they, they decide they, the law is unsettled the first time it reaches them, and then the second time it reaches them, they have to decide whether this set of facts applies precisely to the set of facts that was in the prior case, and thus that the law is settled or that the law isn't settled, and we have to go a different direction because the facts are different. Thus, we all recognize that we're applying those justices' uh, you know, opinions uh, and interpretations of precedent to that situation, and therefore creating new law. I mean, Every single case that we learn in law school that forms the basis of our presidential system is judge-made law. It's all made up. And any case, any anything time you go into law school classroom, you say, "What what is the law?" The, the, the professor will have an aneurysm because they, they, they isn't that you, what the students want? <laughs> the, the, the professor have the aneurysm. Oh my god! Oh yes, never. Professor of Kingsfield and the paper oh, chase. That's they a, that's all really rooted big, for the that's aneurysm. A really good example. Look, I'm not going to say that I loved every professor. I loved 99.99 percent of my professors dearly. Um, maybe that's slightly overstated. Especially Stanley Blumenfeld of and Jody Armour. Absolutely. Absolutely. Two of my favorites. But look, these guys uh, and gals who, who uh, interpret the law on the bench, they are absolutely making law. And I think that directs, directly leads us into uh, the, the sort of one of the hottest button topics that we came to in the Amy Coney Barrett hearings today when Amy, uh, I believe, used the phrase— it's Judge Barrett to you. Thank you. Um, Judge Amy uh, oh, used the phrase— Didn't pick up on that. Uh, used the phrase Judge super Judy. precedent. So mm-hmm. for those who uh, who are coming in real cold uh, to this uh, legal podcast, the idea of precedent is that loss uh, cases— uh, that go in front of judges and go, come out a certain way, and there's an, a certain interpretation of the law used in coming to the conclusion in that case, those cases, the opinions that are written by the judge explaining why they came to that conclusion, those are called precedential, and they become the law. And future cases that judges see in front of them, they read the old cases and they go, oh, they, the, this judge came to this conclusion, and therefore I am bound by precedent. Now, that's very different and kind of confusing to most people would look at think they you know a judge would look at the facts and say what's the right outcome here i'm going to do the right thing or they'd say well i look at the case here and uh, well what is the law i'm going to go to the law that's passed by a legislature and decide whether it falls into that category Mm -hmm. uh, that the legislator was legislature was trying to cover with its law Precedent is totally separate from those those concepts. It is judge-made law, and the vast majority of law in the United States is precedent because every decision now—and, I mean, it used to be that only some decisions got published. Now, every decision is published, and every decision, even the unpublished ones, air quotes on unpublished, is still used as being precedential in most places. And you mentioned super precedent, and it came up today when Judge right. Barrett was testifying, and— she said, look, uh, they're trying to get her to admit, oh, you're going to toss out Roe versus Wade. And she gave the Democrats some ammunition because she said, look, th- there are some things called super precedents. What are those? Those are cases that absolutely everybody on the planet who's a right-thinking human being, not Ted Bundy, agree that's a solid thing. 
Right. And the classic example is Brown versus Board of Education, 1954. It said that separate but equal uh, educational facilities don't exist. It's inherently unequal if it is separate. That is something that is untouchable. It's the third rail of the law. Now we get into the abortion mess because Amy Coney Barrett then said... I can't really say Roe versus Wade is in that bucket of super precedents because she pointed out, look at all the controversy, questions being fired at me left and right from all sides and elements of the ideological spectrum. So, you know, there is a difference of opinion here. Now, she didn't come out and say, and as a good Catholic woman, handmaiden from the Roman Catholic cult that's being criticized by the Democrats, I, of course, would stand on the pro-life side of that. She in no way gave ground and said, yeah, I'm going to give you a hint that I'm going to overturn Roe versus Wade because it ain't a super precedent. But I think by not putting it in that big, important bucket, she gave the Democrats some ammunition. I mean, I'll say one uh, one, big topic coming into these hearings, uh, the Republicans were shouting and screaming and tearing their hair out about how unfair it was that this you know, devoutly Catholic woman was being pilloried for her faith. The, the dogma Democrats, lives loudly within you. Right. The Democrats suffered greatly after Diane Feinstein, Feinstein, after Diane Feinstein uh, criticized Amy Coney Barrett during her confirmation to be a whatever circuit judge uh, that she currently is, right. um, and said, "Well, the the dogma lives strongly within you, or loudly within you," and basically uh, was sort of vaguely hinting at the fact that this lady was too Catholic because she's a member of this weird Catholic sect that that, uh, uh, puts people off. And for some dumb reason, Diane thought that that was a great idea and it was really going to stir people up and and people were going to rise up and say, oh yeah, she's too religious. Like that's ever worked. We're talking to a Christian or Catholic uh, in in American politics and said they're too religious. Excuse me. So, of course, the Republicans in the last couple of weeks have been getting all ready for the Democrats to attack Amy Coney Barrett uh, on the basis that she's too Catholic, Uh, as though the Democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden, isn't a devout Catholic, as as though five of the people currently, by my count at least, on the Supreme Court are currently Catholic. This the best possible evidence that there's no anti-Catholic bias in this country. I mean, the first Catholic president was a Democrat. It was John Kennedy, right? right. I mean, there's it, it boggles the mind that you would even approach this from the angle of they don't like her because she's Catholic. Yeah, I think That's, six of the nine are Catholic yeah, now. Thank you, six, not five. The issue is that when somebody's faith is expressed and manifested in their uh, political opinions and thus their judicial decisions, and that leads to infringing on other people's rights. We all do have a right to stand up and say, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Your Catholicism is bleeding into your politics and into your j- judicial decisions, such that you're going to overturn Roe v. Wade on the basis of your personal religious faith. You're not going to make a decision based on what the American people want or what a bunch of doctors tell us, or, or your even informed legal opinion about what the words "abortion" mean in previous uh, laws and and how those laws are to be enforced uh, or protected or whatever else. You're instead going to pull from within and say, I want a certain outcome because I am uh, of, of a certain religion, and therefore this is how I'm going to rule. And we're all justifiably afraid that the dogma lives too loudly in this lady. Now, 
was Diane dumb for saying that in public in a way that could be exploited by the right? Yes, absolutely. Is it something that we on the left are absolutely afraid of? Yeah. Yeah, I think she probably wishes she could take those words back. Hey, when we come back, a a provocative question. If the Supreme Court is going to decide who wins the presidency, if Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed, should she recuse herself from such a decision? But first, Connor's going to tell you how to rate and subscribe our little podcast. So please find us on Apple Podcasts if that's how you find us. Find us on Stitcher if that's where you get your podcasts. Uh, Anywhere you go uh, to get the podcast, there's always a way to rate or subscribe or like. So if you found us as a one-off, trust me, the the show gets better every episode. Uh, Follow us, subscribe to us, and leave us a five-star review. It really helps. We'll be right back on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm still Connor Oaks. We're talking about Amy Coney Barrett, the judge who is on the hot seat before the Senate Judiciary Committee right now. And but how it's not that hot a seat, unfortunately. They get to dodge anything they don't want to say. Yeah, I think you're right. They're, plus the fact that they are really smart. I mean, everybody from Sotomayor to Kagan and all and the rest, uh, they, they know how to handle these uh, senators that maybe tried a case or two a decade or two ago. <laughs> so um, a few weeks ago, Donald Trump was uh, really getting riled up about the fact that, uh, doggone it, um, uh, I think what he said was, you know, after the election, we're going to have to have the Supreme Court take care of this problem because of the voter fraud. It's big. It's rigged. Wait a minute. Right. That was Nicholson. That was a I Nicholson do impression. Trump and they you do Nicholson. a really good Nicholson. Yeah. So good, though, but it's that an, it basically it's inappropriate. bleeds over. Yeah. yeah, we had Trump saying uh, that he, he thinks uh, uh, voter fraud is widespread and rampant, uh, spreading a bunch of conspiracy theories on and Twitter. And he's looking and forward person. to the new, fully energized, full-strength Supreme yeah. Court. Sounds like I mean, a detergent. Yeah. Uh, to decide side the the cakes and people that, thought is this happening or what kind of bizarro world are we in nonsense first of, i mean multiple layers of nonsense one uh he's talking about installing somebody that he handpicked to then make that decision so there's such an inherent conflict a handmaiden handpicked mm, yes exactly so he's going to handpick uh, amy coney barrett uh, and thus she's going to owe him uh the fact that she now sits on the most powerful judicial body on planet earth probably and then expect her uh, to make a decision that doesn't put him back in office. So that's step one. At step two, we've got him propagating ridiculous conspiracy theories, both in person, in-person speeches and in the videos he records and in the stuff he tweets and retweets, talking about ballot harvesting and ballots thrown in creeks. His whole administration is uh, all in on the idea of delegitimizing our voting system, especially our mail-in voting system, because they've decided that mail-in votes are going to be predominantly Democratic right. because Democratic voters are more afraid of the pandemic. So they're so, convincing so he's people. this up. Yeah, exactly. I hear you, but but the specific question that Amy Coney Barrett's going to have to face is, should she recuse herself? Right. And, and I don't see why she would have to. And I think she said as much in the hearing today. She essentially said, look, I don't know what kind of a dispute there might be related to an election, but... I, you know, just because a particular president appointed me and I'm confirmed by the Senate, and if his interests are at stake, well, a lot of cases coming before a U.S. Supreme Court justice relate to a president who just appointed her a week ago or a month or a year ago, and she may or may not be very beholden to him. Is there really a basis for her to have a blanket, oh, you know, this election thing is so hot right now, it just wouldn't look right for me to be involved, so I'm going to recuse myself. I don't think she's going to. You're right. She won't, and she won't have to. This is an example of the Republicans crafting the narrative and the Democrats taking the bait. As usual, the Democrats uh, are fallen for it. 
right? The Republicans pick the argument and they frame the argument in a way that they should win. They say, well, should a, broadly, a Supreme Court justice appointed by a president recuse him or herself in any case, in any way related to the president that elected that uh, that appointed that Supreme Court justice. Right. And of course, the answer to the broadest question asked of all time in American politics, that one, is no. No, you can't recuse yourself to every single case that could relate to some president in, every, in any way, because every case relates to the president and his, and his policies in some way, vaguely. The real and more appropriate question is, can you construct a scenario where the, the, uh, the, the Trump administration installs a justice explicitly describing how we're putting this lady in there to commit fraud. We're putting her on the Supreme Court so that she can give me the election even though I don't win the more, more votes. And in that scenario where she's explicitly installed by the president for the purpose of winning the election that he has no confidence he will win by popular vote or even by electoral college. And in that scenario when then a case arises that is in some way related to the president's nonsense BS that he's spewing promoting the narrative that the culmination of which is her being on the Supreme Court and handing the election to the conservatives. In that specific scenario, does she have to recuse herself? And in that specific scenario, she does have to recuse herself. And she shouldn't be on the court in the first place because she was installed there to enact fraud in a bad faith way. Hashtag Merrick Garland, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Right, nobody right. cares because nobody cares about bad faith arguments by Republicans. Let's shift gears and talk about packing the court. I think Can't it's wait. so amazing that Joe Biden is fumbling this issue. He is handing a huge issue to the Republicans because it's so transparent mm -hmm. that he is afraid to answer the question that even the left wing moderators are, are asking him repeatedly. Uh, Mr. Biden, Mr. Vice President, are you going to pack the court, move it from nine people to 13 people or not? And he keeps saying, oh, I can't answer it. If I answer it, that'll be the headline tomorrow and you won't talk about what's really important. I mean, it sounds so dishonest. It is that he's not telling the electorate. Why doesn't he simply look into the camera and say, you know, folks, I'm not saying if we're going to pack the court or not. What I'm going to tell you is that if another justice is approved by this Republican Senate that totally upends and threatens to destroy fundamental rights in this America, your health care, your right to an abortion, if, the, if it's so out of balance, I think everything's on the table to look at, you know, the, the size of the Supreme Court, how many years they stay on it, you know, whether we should phase in and out. We got to do something to restore balance and your fundamental rights. Dang. I could see him making that kind of you should run credible for president argument, but for he the didn't. Democratic Party. Both he and Kamala Harris included, and I loved it, even Saturday Night Live in their skit about yeah, Harris yeah, and Pence. Yeah, yeah. Sure, they had fun with the, the fly on yeah, Pence's head. Yeah. They also had fun with her refusal when, I don't know if you saw the skit, Connor, when she was asked by the moderator, are you going to pack the court or not? She had a, a martini glass up to her face because she was, you know, enjoying it. She did a spit take and she spit the whole martini back <laughs> into the glass because she couldn't answer the question. Right. Do you think the Democrats are blowing it? Look, I don't think that the Democrats are blowing it. I think that the not saying anything and and just being coy as they are now being is a valid strategy and it's going to lead to them still winning the presidency. Do I think it's the best strategy? No. Do I think that Joe Biden is the best strategic choice they could have put up against Trump? No. But is he a strategic choice that is probably still going to win the presidency? Yes. This is the DNC making a different political decisions than I would make and that clearly you would make. I'm with you. That is a much better answer. That is what I want to hear out of the Democrats. That is what I want to hear 
you know, pe- Kamala be taken off the leash and allowed to say, right? She's a prosecutor. She is their pit bull. And yeah, I don't want so her I, to be able I to get out there and say I can understand Joe not saying it because Joe, I expect him to ask for applesauce and a Matlock rerun. Well, but she, right. why didn't she give that because answer in the debate? Because you can't let a single sliver of daylight of truth be emerge <laughs> from your mouth. A, sli- a single sliver of daylight emerge between the president and the vice presidential candidates. You need to keep them in complete and absolute lockstep because that is the traditional strategy. Now, would it be better if they allowed her to be herself and have her own opinions? Maybe. Yeah, that's a totally valid idea. I think, actually, you're probably right that that would ring you know, true and better with me than seeing somebody as a VP. Right now, VP doesn't change anything, right? It doesn't help. They're afraid that it might somehow hurt. And so they don't want to change anything. They don't want to upset the status quo. And they don't want to let her say anything extreme. But you're right. Is Joe Biden blowing it? I don't think so. I think Joe Biden is taking a non-optimal strategy, a non-optimal route. He should be saying, look, Mitch McConnell has been packing the court the entire time that that Trump has been uh, in office. Mitch McConnell denying Merrick Garland what he should have gotten, which was a hearing and then probably uh, an installation into the most powerful court in the world as a young guy to live out a career with moderate, not even liberal, but moderate policies to keep our country in the middle of the road where people actually want to live. Well, though living in the middle of the road would be very dangerous, but you know what I mean. That action by McConnell—that's packing the court. Every all the one of all of his tons of appellate, uh, federal appellate judge appointments that he's rammed through in Trump's first term while he still had them—that is packing the court. And we are only, as you put it, going to restore balance one way or another. And we don't know what we're going to do because it's not January twenty-one, not January twenty-one, twenty twenty-one yet. And then we will know because we don't know if Amy Coney Barrett's on the court. We don't know if someone. Even wilder than she is, is on the court. If she fails out of her... Who uh, could be wilder than Amy Coney Barrett? I just can't imagine. Hey, when we come back, uh, Nancy Pelosi seems to think the president is uh, crazy and we ought to change the basic way we get rid of crazy presidents. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. We're back. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. Down, Connor. So, Connor, I think this is really pretty disreputable uh, for wow. Nancy Pelosi. You just like something Pelosi does? Three or four days ago, yeah. very few weeks before the election, mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi trots out the idea, we really need to change the system for uh, getting rid of an incapacitated, incompetent president under the 25th Amendment to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. She said, I'm not saying this has anything to do with the president or this election. No, just this broadly. Is just, this is just broadly. <laughs> well, that's a big fat lie right off the bat. Well, she you just know. wants to pe- get people thinking about whether the president has roid rage because he had steroids to treat his COVID. Right. So she's trying to distract from the fact that Joe Biden maybe has some mental issues. So what does she come out with? She says, okay. We need a 16-member bipartisan commission to decide whether to get rid of the president. So the current system, as you know, Connor, under the 25th Amendment of the Constitution is, if the, if the president is bonkers, right. then the VP and a majority of the president's cabinet have to vote and say, you're out of there, at which point the president says, no, I'm not out of there. And so then it goes to the Congress and two thirds of each side of Congress have to say, well, that's not precisely the status quo because it's never been done. And uh, that that this VP, you know, Section four of the 25th Amendment has ever been used. Uh, The the Section four of the 25th Amendment, of course, came about about 100 years after, maybe more than that, after the founding, because Congress didn't get around to figuring out how exactly they should, you know, know, remove uh, the, the 
what the pre- presidential succession act should look like. There were several versions before this, but the current version of it, and <clears throat> not to not to read the Constitution, which is probably pretty stereotypical for a law podcast, but just the first sentence of Section 4 of Amendment 25 here makes it clear that there is a, a conflict that we have to deal with. It says, <clears throat> whenever the vice president and a majority of either the principal officers of the executive departments, that's the cabinet, right. or of such other body as Congress may uh, may by law provide, transmit to blah, 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 think exactly. he's crazy. And that's so what Nancy's saying. She right. says, let's create another body. Another body. Sounds like it's Congress provided may for. Provide. Yeah. And her body is 16 members, mm-hmm. half by Democrats, half appointed by Republicans, eight doctors, four shrinks, eight executive branch members, former members, and these 16 appoint a 17th, and they ha- can have an independent medical exam of the doc- of the president if a majority of this group asks for it. Right. And this group will then make their recommendation, and I believe that even under this system, you still would need two-thirds of each side of Congress, House of Representatives and Senate, to say, we go along with the bipartisan commission. Right, so the way it works is you have the bipartisan commission theoretically in this scenario, which is the other body as Congress may by law provide, they transmit their recommendation and they say, yeah, he's nuts. The 25th Amendment, the next paragraph of Section 4, then throws it back in the president's face. And the president can, if he's sound enough mind to do so, or people weekend at Bernie's like are propping him up so he pretends to do it, can throw it back <laughs> to both houses of Congress and have they have to have a two-thirds uh, majority in both uh, houses of Congress. If the president just says, wow, okay, bipartisan commission of people or whatever Congress uh, has decided. You convinced me. You convinced me, or now I'm dead, or now I'm very sick, or whatever. You're right. Uh, I'm I'm out. The president is in, and thus the acting president, uh, pre- the VP becomes the acting president. Uh, if he doesn't do that, if he instead turns around and says, uh, "Excuse me." Um, this uh, it's it starts at he, I should be the president. I'm still able to execute the duties of my office. It starts a, a 21 day clock running, and if at the end of that 21 day clock, uh, the uh, uh, if the the uh, two houses of Congress have not voted two thirds, both of them uh, voted two thirds, then he remains the president. But if they do within that 21 day clock uh, vote two-thirds each, then the VP becomes the acting And you know, the bottom line for me is I don't care if they want to tinker with the Constitution and have the additional congressional body body approved by the Congress, but don't pretend that it's, well, it's an important issue, we have to address it. It's a pure political slam on Trump. First she calls him morbidly obese, and now she basically calls him manic and crazy, and it's all for political purposes, but she doesn't admit that it's for political purposes. Why didn't she come out and say, you know, I just I just don't think Donald Trump is stable, especially now that he's had COVID and he's all these weird drugs that none of the rest of us can get. Yeah. You know, again, I just think okay. it's dishonesty. Remember by that the same arguments uh, uh, to defend Pelosi's decision to do this in this kind of quiet, tacit way um, can be and can be and currently are being used to defend the president lying blatantly about his medical condition. He's constantly saying, "Well, I want I want to downplay. I, I want to downplay the virus generally, and I want to pro- project an image of strength and health and virility and everything else for me, so that the American people are calm and and, and you know aren't worried that their president's going to you know keel over." And so 
Pelosi coming coming out and saying, I think the guy with the nuclear button is unstable, the more loud and vociferous she is in that way, the more theoretically she is upsetting the American people. And it's the Republicans who are saying, don't upset the American people. So if she wants to bring up an issue which has now been brought to the fore as a real political issue, what if this guy is roid raging? And if the best thing that for us to do is to think about the process that hundreds of years down the line we've never really figured out. There are big problems that people are pointing out with this 25th Amendment. Uh, succession clause. There, there is a clause in here that says, well, when you go down the chain of succession and you go uh, president to VP to Speaker of the House to President Pro Tem of the Senate, that's the longest serving uh, member of the Senate. Shocker when the Senate and uh, uh, shocker when, when when the legislature wrote the Presidential Succession right. Act. Guess who they put right after uh, President VP on the list. The two most powerful people in the legislature, obviously. So Speaker of the House and then President President of of the Senate, Senate, who I believe is Chuck Grassley, and he's about a million years old, and he refuses— Close, 87. Yeah, he refuses to wear a mask or get a COVID test or quarantine because he's crazy. So this guy is next, fourth in line. So after you go down those two uh, important legislative bodies, you then jump to the cabinet. And you go through the cabinet by uh, ranking of seniority of when the cabinet— uh, positions were created. So right. the very first one Secretary would be Secretary State. of State. And then mm-hmm. you go through the you know, all the other ones that were created. And all of the very end is Department of Homeland Security, because it was the most recently created after 2011. Like, Secretary right? of Internet is even newer than that. <laughs> so Secretary of like, like the Interior or whatever is, yeah, is right. before DHS for some reason, if you really trust the DHS is making the good decisions. But think about this, and people are po- talking about this, pointing this out. If you have uh, a, a person, um, uh, say say the, the Secretary of the Interior, like in designated service survivor or whatever, becomes the president. Uh, And then uh, you replace one of the missing guys, like Secretary of State. Uh, Do they fight over the job? Yeah. Yeah. Does the Secretary of State now take over now that he's higher ranking and now has been appointed by the interim Secretary of the Interior? Is he now the president? Good question. So here's my proposal. Um, uh, Within the last week or two, politicians in Washington were talking about a deal. And Mm. here's the deal. We're going to withdraw Amy Coney Barrett. You just let let the next president appoint her. But here's the deal. Democrats have to promise that if they win and run the show, they won't pack the court. Well, the deal went nowhere. Here's my my idea instead. We withdraw Amy Coney Barrett. Okay, I'm with that's you so far. I'm, in I'm return, so yeah. Nancy Pelosi resigns and becomes manager of a Stuckey's in Peoria for the next 10 years. Now, that'll take her from 80 to 90. <laughs> yeah. After yeah, 90, yeah, yeah. she's welcome Anything to pull a Dianne Feinstein yeah. and come on back to Anything Congress. She wants. She'll have to start as a buck private. You know that that's I'm That's my idea. You know that I'm in. When, 100%. We, uh, when we speak to you again uh, on uh, Too Many Lawyers Who Knows, maybe it might really be Justice Amy It'll be Justice Scrooge McDuck if she doesn't make it. He's next in line. Time will tell. Thanks for listening. See you next time.